Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the 175th week of the Lunch Pell Guys podcast. Didn't even occur to me in the first part that it's 175. That's a pretty, like, you know, not round number, but yeah, that's a, that's a pretty number. significant number. <laughs> um, we could easily write that in Roman numerals, so I feel like it's anyway, valuable. Anyway. Aiden, <laughs> what is it in Roman numerals off the top of your head? Tell me. It's is C, it like yeah. C, is it C, what's, what's X, 50? X, V? Anyway. No, no, M is a million, is a thousand. I think it's um, C-L. Yeah, C-L, X-X-X. Oh, yeah, you're right. C-L. Yeah, is it X-X-X-V? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's not all that pretty. I think we should start numbering our episodes. This is why you tune into this podcast. Exactly. Like the Super Bowls, it's worked for them. Super Bowl thinks it's so important that it needs, yeah, Roman numerals. But, um. Yeah, they're gonna have Except to. They're gonna have to 50. start renaming it once they get up to 100. Like once they get to 175, like you can't, you can't be calling it Super Bowl CLX X B. Dude, the logo though for Super Bowl C. Yeah, Super Bowl 175. <laughs> True. I feel like Super Bowl 40 XL was the best one. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah, that's that's hard to top to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, as you know, <laughs> no, not that very important discussion. I'm here as per usual um, with the whole crew. I got Lucas, Wyatt, Jared, Bart, um, and your host, me, Aiden. Uh, and we're going to dive right into our first topic in this episode. Uh, we've been doing a thing for the past couple months uh, where we go through an NFL team, kind of the state of where that team's at right now, where they're headed, uh, what they should be doing to better position themselves going forward. Uh, and we're now at the Falcons. Uh, so Bart, where do the Falcons stand in a wide open NFC South? So to me, this this question more than anything hinges on the Desmond Ritter question. So I'm going to start there. Last year's numbers were absolutely nothing to write home about. He played four games. He threw two touchdowns, zero picks. He averaged 177 yards per game. But it was only four games. So like, can we draw anything me- meaningful from that? Probably not. Um, but with that being said, depending on who you ask, some people really do seem to like him. Um, you know, like he's, he's got his pros. He's got a very accurate arm. I was watching some highlights. He throws some absolute darts. He's smart. He avoids mistakes. He's decently mobile. And one thing that the Falcons apparently like a lot about him is just that he's a really good leader, apparently. So it seems like the consensus is he's not going to be elite, but he, sh- he could be a very good game manager. I think that's about right. Um, and I, like, I know people will probably have thoughts about the whole Lamar thing. We can talk about that later. But I think the, the, the takeaway to me is that it's clear that Arthur Smith and the Oregon are kind of hitching their wagon on him right now. And he, he does need to take the next step this year. Um, and they're expecting him to. Aside from him, I think they're in a pretty decent spot. Like, I think their offseason has actually been quite good so far. They improved one of the league's worst defenses, right? They signed Jesse Bates. Now he's one of the highest paid safeties in the league. They signed uh, David Onyemata, defensive tackle. They signed Clayus Campbell from the Ravens. Um, so, you know, they should immediately have improvement on what was the worst pass rushing defense in the NFL last year. Um, but I also wanted to highlight that they have committed to their offensive line because they re-signed Caleb McGarry, who was PFF's fourth best tackle last year. 
and they extended Chris Lindstrom, who was actually PFF's highest graded player overall. He was second team all pro. So, you know, it's important to not let your best pieces walk away, and they've done that, and they're committing to protecting Desmond Ritter, which is important. Um, you know, in the draft, I think they'll prioritize their defense, but, like, they're a team that kind of has holes to fill regardless. So as long as they're not reaching for guys, they should have a really good draft and be able to add even more depth, which they've done a good job of this offseason. So, you know, to answer the question directly, I think, Aiden, you hit the nail on the head that the, the NFC South is pretty wide open, right? Like, the Bucks are going to be bad without Brady. Panthers might catch fire with that first overall pick quarterback, but more likely they're another year or two away. Um, the Saints are kind of the biggest question mark because like everything really hinges on whether Derek Carr can be good once again. The Saints are um, <laughs> most likely. I agree with you, but they are also the betting favorites right now to win the NFC South. So you know, what do you and I know? Six wins <laughs> at nine and a half, Whoa. apparently. Um, but yeah, so like I think the, the Falcons have done a good job of just like fleshing out their roster this offseason. They also apparently have the easiest schedule next year. So if their cards, you know, fall correctly, they will be in the running to win the NFC South next year. And I decided I'm going to book this because we never do book it. I'm mm. going to book it that by week, I'm going to say 16. So late in the season, they will still be in the running to win the division. That's as far <laughs> as I'm willing to take it. But I don't, you know what? That's pretty good. No, that's very good. qualified good. bucket. That's good. Does I that like mean that. they're like, well, that's by what I'm saying, is that they're going to be in the running. I, mean, I don't know who's going to win it. Game. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean that they'll um, like be mathematically eligible to win the division? Is yeah, that that's, how that's we're what I mean. defining our term right there? Yeah. Okay, cool. What about injuries? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Every time we make book it, people get mad at me about injuries. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, what was the one where it's like, yes, you were drunk. technically... I don't remember what it was. Yeah. What was Sparts too with Derrick Henry that he wouldn't be then top he wasn't, three? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he... But you're right. I don't care. You're right. It doesn't matter how you're right. Anyway, sorry. Whatever. I agree. Tom Brady won't throw any t- passing touchdowns this year. Look that. I wouldn't be so okay. sure. Yeah, actually, that one. Yeah, actually, you have no idea. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say with confidence, Peyton Manning won't. You can book it. And I'll still be right. I'll say with confidence, Troy Aikman won't be throwing, <laughs> won't be throwing any. Bart, when it comes to Desmond Ritter, I just find it hard to believe uh, that – he has all of the qualities of a starting quarterback, but he st- wasn't a first-round mm-hmm. quarterback, and that they're going to develop a late-round quarterback to become that. Uh, that never really happens. Even the last couple, like Dak Prescott, I know is the shining case, but at the very least, he was successful right away. The other guys mm-hmm. who we thought who were late-round picks who've kind of developed into a little bit more. Obviously, Brock Purdy, who plays in a fantastic offense, but what what's the other one? Like Gardner Minshew, who started off yeah. really hot and then kind of. Tw- uh, fell down a little bit uh, when it comes to him being a starting quarterback somewhere. Like even the Colts, we had pitched them him going to the Colts like three or four times on the show. And he never ended up finding <laughs> his way to become a starting quarterback like that. I would find it hard to believe that, that it's like, it's all right there for them now. And that he doesn't matter if a starting quarterback or not. And I know you, you said a game manager being a top 15 guy, like maybe 15 at best is possible. Otherwise, what really is the point of having a quarterback who is just mediocre across the board? I think that you need to go and get somebody who can be top 10 and even what, given the, where the division is at in the entire NFC, where, where would he, what's his best case scenario rank wise? Dak Prescott was like the eighth best quarterback in that conference. So I don't know. I just, I, I don't see. Yeah. 
I think that Arthur Smith is a good coach. Uh, I like some of the team building things, but this is now like getting to a point where maybe some pieces need to start falling in line here. I mean, they, I know that they were close to winning the division last year, but it's not a good division. There's not really much to hang your hat on to say that we won eight games and we were still in the running for, cause I mean, they're, they're, it's either if they didn't win the division, right. They, they would have been picking where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. Otherwise now they're picking in the top 10. So it's like, like the Buccaneers would have picked somewhere close to the top 10 as well. The, the, it's not a good division, and there's nothing to hang your hat on in saying that we won the NFC South. And they hmm. need to start putting some pieces together to say that we are like legitimately close to not just winning the division, dominating it, and maybe making a run in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, that's... I wouldn't be so out on Desmond Ritter, though, as, like a, as a quarterback going forward, just by necessity of him not being a first-round pick. If you look at the NFC this past year, the only first-round pick who made the playoffs – as a starting quarterback in the NFC was Daniel Jones. And I don't think that that is necessarily <laughs> indicative of success. I mean, you a lot of these guys were developed successfully. Um, Tom Brady, now that Desmond Ritter just going to be Tom Brady, but, like, he was developed and wasn't great originally. Kirk Cousins didn't, like, burst onto the scene his first year. Ended up has been a really good quarterback. Um, Brock Purdy, I think. We'll, we'll wait judgment on Brock Purdy, but Jalen Hurts also not a first-round pick, also not super impressive at the end of the 2020 season when he took over for Carson Wentz, was decent in his second year, and then was a, is going to be now like the highest-paid or one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL after this year. So I like Redder's situation does feel somewhat similar to Hurts. I don't think he's going to be as good as Hurts, but in any stretch of the imagination, but I think he can develop strongly. Like Hurts came in last few games of this year of his you know, of 2020, Ritter came in the last few of 2022. I think that you can make an argument that he could at least do something and develop into a high-level competent game manager type quarterback that in an NFC with basically no good quarterbacks could be effective. Yeah, I'm kind of out on Desmond. I'm not banking on him. Like the, the thing with Jalen Hurts is he had 30 touchdown, 30 passing touchdowns and 20 rushing touchdowns in senior year. Like, Desmond Ritter wasn't doing that. You know what I mean? Like, Jalen Hurts was a legit, like, one of the best players in, in college when he was playing. Um, mm. Where, yeah, like, yeah, Desmond Ritter is not on that same level. But I think, like, I agree with you, Wyatt, that the pieces need to fall, but it doesn't need to happen this year. I'm, I, like, you can run it back with Desmond Ritter this year draft early in the draft again next year and maybe get your guy i mean they brought in taylor heineke i don't know if they if they believe in desmond ritter that much taylor heineke is like the bridge the bridgiest of bridge quarterbacks like he's there <laughs> he's there as a stopgap you know what i mean like okay if desmond ritter doesn't work out we bring in heineke week eight you know what i mean so i don't know how much confidence is there but you i mean you have to get a backup no matter what but i feel like taylor heineke is going to see the field this year <laughs> so i think i just feel like they won't be bad enough especially in their division to really get a top qb next year maybe like a you know i view them as being in like the the 12 range the you know 10 to 15 range there's always free agency though too yeah there is that's true there's a lot of mobility in the nfl right now so there's always free agency you are right, though. I agree. You are right. Why would you have gone for Lamar? Or do you think I they mean, shoot. should have pursued Lamar? <laughs> they can still. Well, Lamar would definitely be, I think without a question, the best quarterback in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the other guys well, who are competing for that is Jalen Hurts. I'd say Jalen Hurts. Possibly yeah. Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott, right? You could throw Kirk Cousins in there. You could throw Matthew Stafford no. in there. 
But I think that Lamar Jackson, if he's not one, he's definitely two, yeah. um, depending yeah. on where you rank Jalen Hurts. But I think most people would – I mean, he's, he's, he's won an MVP. I know he's never made the championship round, but, like, he, he's a fantastic quarterback, and that would definitely put him over the top. I understand, though, this, is that it's not like this, this was a 9-10 win team last year who was, like, this close to really making it. Um, I know that, like I said, like you, you won the NFC, you're, you're in running for the NFC South, but you're still picking in the top 10. It's not like the team is like super fantastic, but at the very least, he gives you an edge that other teams in that league in the, especially in that the South, but in the NFC entirely just don't have. One thing, one thing I'm, I would consider maybe if you're like an NFC GM is, are you trying to build a team to win the NFC? Or are you trying to build a team to win the Super Bowl? Because I feel like that's going to change your expectations. Try, like building a team to win the NFC is not as hard as trying to beat the Chiefs or trying to beat the Bills or trying to beat, you know, any other top team in the AFC, the Bengals. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a that's a much taller order still. And like maybe maybe you do want to hang your hat on like, oh yeah, we won an NFC conference championship. But I think you're like if that you have to think about what are your expectations, <laughs> and that will kind of dictate your roster moves a little bit too. Yeah. I think. But here's the thing, like even winning the NFC, yeah. like the Super Bowl is one game. Like anything can happen in one game. Okay. And I think that I think to some extent the NFC is so weak now. Like I, I said this I think right after the Super Bowl when we were talking about um like can the Eagles back make it back next year? And even though I think the Eagle Eagles are slightly worse going into next year than they were this year, it's like it's not a super competitive conference. Like the forty ers are good but not super scary. They don't have an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. The Vikings are good, but I don't think, again, super scary. The Cowboys, good, not super scary. Like, I think there's the Eagles are borderline elite. They're like three or four good teams. And other than that, it's pretty wide open. So I think that if you can build a team good enough to win the NFC, which I don't think takes a whole ton at this point, like you just got you get into the Super Bowl and hope you can win. Like they're in a much better position by nature of being in the NFC than the AFC. Like building a team to win the AFC <laughs> is like a, a Herculean task. Like you have to be the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals and the Jags are going to be good and the Chargers are going to be good and like, and so I think it's much different that even if you're building with the expectation of winning the NFC, that's like a somewhat attainable goal in the next few years if things sort of stay as they are. And then if you go from there, eh, maybe you get in and you sneak out of one against the Chiefs or something. Okay, last question here is Arthur Smith on the hot seat right now. And what will it take otherwise for him to get on it? No, I just like what else are they really gonna do? Mm-hmm. I feel like when it comes to uh, their coaching hire, because it's not—I don't know if he's necessarily failed expectations. He's one of those coaches like where like you're you're close to five hundred every year. That if pieces started to come together, maybe like they would have they they would really start to win games and i believe that he's a good coach i just don't know what else they're supposed to do if they don't do arthur smith really yeah he definitely like hasn't underachieved right given what he's had so mm-hmm. I yeah i think the commitment to ritter is effectively yeah. going to put him on the hot seat if they don't do well because that was very much a decision that was driven by him mid-season trade for Lamar so. from the sound of interviews <laughs> Easy. Yeah. okay moving away from football to our favorite sport to talk about 
baseball baseball season has started um you know everyone on the podcast has been taking in as much baseball as, as we can over the past week i'm sure um but we're gonna we're gonna talk about in honor of baseball season starting what narratives each of us are going to be watching over the course of this season uh, and we're going to start out with you lucas what narrative will you be keeping an eye on so I wrote this in my notes as I hate the stupid Philadelphia Phillies and they better turn it around, so help me God. But I, I'm condensing it into a more you know, coherent thing and saying that I'm curious as to, to see how both the AL and NL champ last year, the Astros, obviously the AL, the Phillies, and the NL, how they play this year. Because both of them have gotten off to slow starts, one significantly slower than the other in the Phillies. But the Astros have also looked not their best selves to start this season. And I'm curious if... The Astros especially, having been the dynasty of the last, you know, half decade or so, are finally showing some signs of weakness. And if the Phillies, if last year them making the World Series and winning the NL pennant was more of an aberration than anything else. But we'll start with the Phillies. Um, they have struggled mightily out of the gates. They are 1-5 and five at this point. Um, I mean, there are some explainable reasons um, that you could have seen coming into the season. Bryce Harper out to begin the season is tough. Reese Hoskins being injured, tearing his ACL, missing the entire year um, during a spring training game. Also really going to hurt them. But the bigger struggle has been pitching. The offense for the Phillies has been, you know, decent, if not great. Across the five games, you look at their series against the Rangers. They scored seven runs in their first game. Three in the next one. one of the five. It, They're batting about at a replacement level offense. But the pitching has been horrific. They allowed 11 runs to the Rangers on opening day. 16 to the Rangers in their second game, 8 to the Yankees um, in the first game of that series that just wrapped up. Nola and Wheeler have both mightily struggled. The bullpen looks bad. I think they'll turn it around a little bit. I don't think a team that has as much talent as the Phillies did, one that is largely a roster, which is still intact from last year, and then added Trey Turner cannot be a 65-70 win team. But... I am curious to see how high of a ceiling they can actually reach because the 1-5 start is not indicative of great things to come. But we'll see. So I'll be following, obviously, how that'll be going. And the Astros? The Astros have also struggled out of the gate so far, not in quite as dramatic fashion as the Phillies. They did pick up a win against the Tigers today, but they had their first series against the White Sox, split that four-game series. They... Lost the series against the Tigers, and a lot of people coming into the year, myself included, thought the Tigers were going to be one of, if not the worst teams in baseball. Yes, there are the injury issues with Altuve. Him coming back will help, but again, a little bit of a slow start. And all of this is to say that baseball early season is the least indicative of any sports season because it's just six random games across 162. <laughs> like at some point during the year, the season, the Phillies were going to go one and five in a six-game stretch. Like. It just happened in the first six games. And at one point, the Astros were going to lose a series, weirdly, to the Tigers. Like, that's going to happen. But I'm taking all this with a grain of salt. I think both teams will be fine. Both will make the playoffs. But I am kind of monitoring how it is going forward because the early signs have not been great. You know, if they do turn it around, this is going to be the first stat that is quoted. Like, the Phillies started 1-17. in 17. <laughs> like, They're going to yeah. love playing that back. <laughs> turn it around. <laughs> Yeah. No, agreed though that I feel like when baseball starts, I'm always very invested in the first few games, and sometimes you need to like take a step back and be like, mm. <laughs> like this, this doesn't, this might not yeah. matter. Uh, but but yeah, it can be worrying. So, 
we will see what happens to the stupid Philadelphia Phillies. Um, anyway, Jared, what is your narrative? The narrative I'm interested in is the quest for the exclusive and elusive 40-40 season. For those don't, that don't know, it's 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases. Um, and this is also just to like kind of drive home how exclusive this is. Like baseball is an old game. This has only been done four times. The last time was in 2006. So it's been a while. That was Alfonso Soriano too. The other guys are Barry Bonds, Jose Canseco, and A-Rod. So... Um, interesting a lot of like three of those guys at least were steroids maybe Seriano was too <laughs> so can we get a clean 40-40 season that's the, that's the question but it just kind of gets into like all the changes that have gone into MLB this season which is interesting so you got the pitch clock of course which is like the biggest probably the biggest talking point maybe and I'm sure Aiden will on his narrative will get more into like batting states but uh, batting stats and stuff but um, averages are up, also partially attributed attributable to the shift. But I think pitchers getting are gonna get like less, they get less rest and like concentration between pitches now too. I'm, I feel like that's probably got to be affecting them, the pitcher more than it does the batter. I would think. Also, Manny Machado um, already got ejected for arguing a pitch slash batter clock violation, which I feel like exactly is super that would be on the bingo but... card for anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. But not only that, bases are three inches bigger on each side. So, all right, it's a little less distance to travel for stolen bases. Also, this is the this is what I think is the most interesting. Pitchers are now limited to two disengagements um, per plate appearance. So, even if you just step off the mound, you don't even throw over. That's a disengagement. Um, and then, obviously, if you try a pickoff, that's a disengagement. So, if you do it twice, the next time you step off the rubber, it needs to result in an out. Otherwise, it's a balk, and that player gets a base. Which isn't a stolen... I don't think a balk counts as a stolen base, right? It shouldn't. Yeah. I don't think it does. But that that definitely gives you an edge if like somebody's somebody's trying to pick you off twice and you're like, okay, well, you can kind of get a little bit bigger lead too, that sort of stuff. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that happens. But stolen base success rate is already up this year. Lucas, you're right that you can't read. And like at the start of the year, there's always like, this is the craziest MLB stat we've ever seen at the start of the year. Like, we're on pace for X or whatever, and then it always cools down. But stolen base success rate is up 83% right now, which is way higher than I would have expected it to. Like, you should be stealing more often <laughs> if your success rate is 83%. Yeah. But um, there's more stolen base attempts per game, too. Um, and I think you can just kind of gamble a little bit more with, like, stolen bases. And I think you're going to... Um, see more offense probably this year too with like less shifts ronald acuna jr that's the guy to watch yeah. for it he almost did it in 2019 so i think that's the guy to watch for a 40 40 season he did 2019 he had 37 stolen bases and 41 home runs oh. so i i think he, he's a guy to watch for a 40 40 season i think it'd be really fun that would be like a, a good late yep. season narrative too for base for the mlb yeah. i think yeah that like um the the that's pickoff limits creates this weird psychological problem where if you really can only throw over twice so why would you even throw over the second time you know what i mean because then you're totally out then the guy can just mm -hmm. essentially run um so right well because he can you can still go over the third time yeah like you but you have to get him out right which like too, i feel like that's a really low success rate and so it's like yeah, i feel like true. it's pitchers aren't gonna even want to throw over multiple times and if they're not yeah it, it all feels like it's the odds are stacked in the runner's favor pretty seriously so baseball wants action 
it'll also get, question it'll get on action. the yeah yeah question on this maybe maybe this is only a question for lucas and aiden because I, I don't think wyatt watches that much baseball we'll i don't see. think bart does either we'll see. but um do you think pickoffs are boring like pickoff attempts do you boo them what do you boo a pickoff attempt yeah, like if you're in the stadium else's, you know <laughs> yeah it's it's crowd they're not my favorite part of baseball okay. i think it i don't hate them but i'm just like the the i don't know what the exact stat is but like the percentage of pickoffs that ever work is yeah. minimal right and so it just feels like a yeah a little bit of a time waste. that's yeah, not always know. particularly fun but it does feel like the only real check that the pitcher has against the runner right and i feel like yeah. it is mm. it's not gone but it, it's severely weakened here Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on to Wyatt, new baseball viewer. What is the narrative that you're watching? <laughs> Big time baseball fan. <laughs> not, mine's not a rule change. Mine's not necessarily, well, mine kind of is a team. I am on Shohei Otani watch for all the 2023. All the good, all the bad. Every win, check his body language. If he lost, check his body language. <laughs> look at, mm-hmm. is he talking to everybody? What do the high fives look like? Are they, are they giving hugs? Is the energy good? What color Gatorade is he drinking? Everything that he does, I want to watch because we are in unprecedented territory with him. Most of the time, uh, baseball players will just kind of piss their career away by signing a ten-year contract. He decided <laughs> he's going to be on the other end of that and explore free agency. Almost like regardless of what happens, it seems like, yeah, I'm just going to become a free agent and see how much money I can make. So anytime the Angels, who have underachieved dramatically, drastically over the last couple of years, uh, I, I want to see like what can we get out of Shohei Otani, who is by far the most unique baseball player we have seen. And a lot of people are saying since Babe Ruth. I don't know how many people have saw Babe Ruth in the, <laughs> and are still around, like, are talking about it. Uh, not me, but... <laughs> um, everything that everything that happens, if Mike Trout strikes out, what does Shohei, Shohei Otani think about that? You know, what is he <laughs> looking at? Any any anything that happens? Um, right now they're four and two, so they're first place in the AL West. Early days, we can see what happens from there. But yeah, I just want to I just want to know like, is he gonna leave or have the Angels screwed this one up too? Um, who is courting him? Does he give high fives to Aaron Judge when they play the Yankees? How how happy does he look? So yeah, all of that stuff, everything that he does, I'm watching it. As long as he doesn't go to yeah. the Padres, <laughs> then I'm I'm fine. Well, yeah, it's cool to be done. <laughs> I feel like this happens every year though, where I follow the Angels at the beginning of the season, and like they're gonna, this is finally going to be the year that Otani and Trout, forever many years, this been that they've both been there, they're gonna do it. And then they always start off like pretty okay. Like they're never like crazy like six and zero to start, but they're always like four and two or you know. And I'm like, this is gonna be it. And then they, two weeks later, they're like <laughs> ten games below five hundred. I, I yeah, think it was last did. year, right? Didn't yep. they get off to like a really good start and then lose yep. like fifteen games in a row? They're the angels. That, yeah. I might have made that exact. Yeah, I think it was twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I sent this to you, Lucas, but the. Like the on opening day, there was the headline yeah. on ESPN. That was the most Angels thing ever. It was Otani calls own pitches, strikes out ten in Angels loss, and that's just, it's, <laughs> just it, yeah, it's going from the Mike the Mike Trout homer exactly, twice. Exactly, it's just yeah, real. They'll probably both homer twice and still lose. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's the classic tweet that Aiden sent me. This attached to it that I, it's still my favorite tweet ever, which is every time I see an Angels highlight, it's like. 
Mike Trout hit three home runs and races average to 528, while Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since Tungsten Armo Doyle of the 1921 Akron Groomsmen and the Tigers defeated the Angels 8-3. It's just like every single... <laughs> so I'd be upset if that narrative is yeah. ruined by them like being actually good. So we'll see. Yeah, anyway. Actually good, yeah. Okay, going over to you, Bart. What is your narrative? Uh, we're keeping it in Cali, keeping it with a player watch like Wyatt. I'm, I'm talking about Fernando Tatis Jr., the redemption arc this season. Um, for those who don't remember, like me, <laughs> before I looked this up, um, <laughs> last year he missed, <laughs> he missed time to start the season because he needed wrist surgery. So that took him out for four months. And then in August, he got suspended 80 games for PED usage. And this is like a quick aside. I just thought this was so funny. How first he blamed it on ringworm medication. I didn't know that. And then later his dad was like, oh, actually he got fungus from a haircut. So like differing stories, neither of which made a ton of sense. We don't really know. Um, anyway, since then he also had a second surgery on his wrist and a surgery on his shoulder. So he's been a little beat up. So he hasn't played a game since 2021. Um, but the point is that before he stopped playing, he was like one of the most, you know, one of the elite players in the MLB, basically one of the best young players. Like literally I was just looking at his Wikipedia alone. From that, all MLB first team two years, the last two years he played. He was the, the shortstop silver slugger the last two years he played. And he was the home run leader in 21. And he finished top four in MVP voting both of those years. So, like, suffice it to say, you could go on and on. But he was really, really good. So I'm saying I'm watching out for this season because it's probably not as dramatic as a movie. But I'm framing it as a movie plot. Is it going to be one of those sad movies <laughs> where, like, he comes back and he's never the same player that he used to be? And we always talk about him as, like, a what if, you know, what could have been kind of thing. Or does he come back, you know, he claws his way back to the top and he re restores his reputation. It's also interesting because a lot of the people are picking the Padres to win it all this year. They have so many good players. And so if they can do that on top of him coming back, it'll, it'll really be like a sweet story. Right. So I'm just keeping an eye on him. Is he going to be good again or not, basically? Yeah, I feel like he's really just become a villain. Maybe I think he vaguely was one already before all of this. So I am kind of rooting against him in this movie, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anti -hero. exactly, anti. Everyone loves an anti-hero. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna close this out. Uh, I'm gonna go with a fairly obvious one, which is the return of the lefty pole hitter. Given that the shift is banned, um, we tried really hard on the Lunch Pill Guys podcast to lobby against this change, the windfall from our, our <laughs> lucrative, um, now former DraftKings sponsorship that Lucas alluded to in the last episode. We contributed <laughs> that all to lobbying to keep the shift, but uh, we were we were outbid. Um, so the shift is, is no more. Um, and teams will still find like creative ways to position players, right? Um, but I still think that this will be the year of the lefty pull hitter, which has been kind of a... Uh, a group that's been oppressed a bit in recent years so we're gonna see a lot of these guys go from <laughs> hitting 205 with 40 home runs to hitting 235 or 230 with 40 home runs uh, so a couple guys in particular who i think could benefit um, starting with lucas's phillies kyle schwarber you know he hit 46 homers last year but hit just 218 which is kind of his brand uh, but it's estimated that he lost 12 hits to the shift last year meaning he would have hit a, a more respectable 240 uh, without the shift so, you know, like the, the rest of the Phillies, he's, he's not off to the most dominant of start, starts, but uh, we'll see if he can turn it around. Um, another, like, potential MVP candidate I've heard discussed is Corey Seager on the Rangers, uh, who he landed a big contract from the Rangers entering the 2022 season. 
he was pretty much like a career kind of 300 guy um, and he was hit a bunch of homers last year he set a career high with 33 but he had a career low batting average of 245 and Statcast that is expected average anyway was 283 so he was kind of unlucky already and combine that with the fact that on 93% of pitches he was shifted against last year, um, there's a good chance that he'll get back to the 300 range this year. He apparently pulled 107 grounders into the shift last year with an average of 056 on that. So that's going to be help now that there's just you know wow. two guys over there. Um, you know, Jordan Alvarez is one more guy, finished third in the MVP voting last year, who's going to benefit from this as a, lef- as a lefty. Um, and one other thing, kind of going along with what Jared said about the bigger bases, um, is that, you know, this is a win for everybody, for any speedy guy. Um, but lefty hitters in particular, right, are closer to first base to start with. Um, so now that first base is three inches closer, this benefits the the speedy lefty uh, who is who is now closer to first base than they've ever been. So someone like um, Corbin Carroll on the on the Diamondbacks. Um, but, but yeah, so it's it's a good year. Uh, to be left-handed is is the conclusion. You know what baseball term always made me mad, or like baseballism that like coaches would say is like hard ninety. Yeah. Like you know, is it is it a hard like eighty nine point seven now? Totally or? different. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> As, so actually, it's not. It's still ninety. Apparently, the way they measure it is still oh, ninety lies. feet. But oh, to the center <laughs> of the base, the base or something. Bigger. I don't know. What is the... <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember uh, exactly what it was. But, yeah. I'm just waiting for baseball to become like a like gym class kickball game where they have like a mat on to be first base <laughs> that you can. You yeah. Know, exactly. And as many people can sit on the mat or stand on the mat as possible at any one time. <laughs> well, as many people as you could get onto that mat. Not as many people exist there as are listening to our podcast so if you want to join them (laughs) then sign right up give us a download on spotify on apple podcasts we're both of those places make sure subscribing or following us on twitter on instagram and on tiktok and we'll see you next week